The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. Welcome back to the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast. Today's topic, limb occlusion pressure, LOP. Understanding this one is a prerequisite to fully understanding the physiology of blood flow restriction. So that's why we've chosen to keep this on the earlier end of our educational series. And in this episode, we're going to discuss a few things. So first, we'll talk about what LOP is. We'll get into why it's important, what factors determine an individual's LOP. And then, of course, we'll finish with some application. So let's jump right into defining LOP. Limb occlusion pressure is the minimum pressure required to fully occlude or restrict arterial blood flow. Remember, we've got arteries carrying blood from the heart to the rest of the body. That obviously includes your limbs. So if an artery is fully occluded, that just means that 100% of the blood flow into that limb is stopped. So if you've got a cuff that's reached your limb occlusion pressure on your left arm, zero blood flow should be getting into that arm. Why is that an important number to know? Why is that full occlusion pressure an important number? Well, if you remember, blood flow restriction involves occluding a certain percentage of arterial flow during physical activity, generally somewhere in the range of 30 to 80%, depending on several factors, you know, who it is, what the adaptation is, what exercise you're doing, etc. But in order to know how much pressure we should apply to train it, you know, if if 30% occlusion is our goal, in order to know what pressure is required to reach 30, we need to know what pressure gets us to 100 because we can just work backwards from there. So using 100 millimeters of mercury as an example, if that's your limb occlusion pressure on your left arm, we know that if we want to train at 50% occlusion, we just train at 50 millimeters of mercury applied pressure to that left arm. And that millimeters of mercury reference, by the way, is just a reference to uh, pressure. It's how pressure generally applied to tissues in the body is measured. So you know, the greater the number, the greater the pressure. So that's sort of the basis of limb occlusion pressure and why it's important uh, to know for BFR. But it's actually been important since long before blood flow restriction training entered the picture. Uh, You can picture maybe another scenario where it would be important to know how much pressure is required to occlude an artery. Uh, How about during surgery? We're all pretty familiar with a surgeon placing a tourniquet around the arm or the leg, you know, when a procedure is getting ready to happen and and they want to create what they would call a bloodless field. And in the early days, what practitioners would do is just apply kind of an arbitrary amount of pressure to the limb. So for the arms, it was somewhere around 300 millimeters of mercury. And for legs, it was generally around 500, sometimes even more. And they would apply this amount of pressure regardless of who the patient was, uh, regardless of really any other factors. It was just sort of an arbitrary amount of pressure. Over time, other recommendations kind of entered the picture. Two times systolic blood pressure would be one. So again, if you're, you know, systolic blood pressure was 100, they'd say apply 200 millimeters of mercury of pressure. Uh, But all of these recommendations generally led to pretty excessively high pressures. And this is problematic because high pressures can risk damage to the skin, vessels, nerves, muscles. Uh, It can even lead lead to compartment syndrome if it's high enough. This is discussed pretty well in a 2019 paper by Kasim Atal. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, where the authors note that though most of these lesions are transient, one in about every four to 6,000 can cause permanent neurological damage. So because of this, obviously, we don't want to risk applying too much pressure, new methods of estimating arterial uh, occlusion pressure for you know tourniquet related surgeries started to emerge 
And we're going to touch briefly on one of them. You might be thinking too, why are we talking about tourniquets for surgery? This is supposed to be a blood flow restriction podcast. Like, What are we talking about? You do not come to the blood flow restriction podcast to get ordinary education. You come here to be in the top 1% knowledge base of all BFR practitioners. And that's why we're here. And I promise the fundamentals of LOP matter no matter, no matter whether it's for a surgical procedure or for BFR. And there's a specific reason why we're going into the context of LOP as it relates to surgery. So let's lean in here. That paper that I referenced we'd go into is a 2006 paper, again, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, by Tinkani. And what they were looking to do was create an effective mathematical method to determining or you know estimating limb occlusion pressure. And that formula was systolic blood pressure plus 10 millimeters of mercury divided by tissue padding coefficient. Okay, let's break that down. I promise we're not going to go too crazy into math. Uh, and this will all make sense. As a recap on systolic blood pressure, because this is very important in terms of blood flow restriction training, uh, it's the first number that you see on your blood pressure reading. So when you see a blood pressure reading of 120 over 80, that 120 is referring to your systolic blood pressure. Uh, the reason why it's higher than the second number is that is the pressure in your arteries uh, when your heart is contracting actively. So more blood is being forced through the artery at that moment. And consequently, it increases the pressure along the artery wall. So for a patient, so let's use that example of, you know, 120 over 80, somebody with 120 over 80 blood pressure, their limb occlusion pressure would be 120, which is systolic blood pressure, plus 10. Now that's just kind of like a a safety measure. Like let's just add 10 extra. Um, That was sort of a, a number that they came up with to factor in for margin of error, et cetera. So 120 plus that safety factor of 10 divided by the tissue padding coefficient. Okay. What is tissue padding coefficient? The interesting thing they did in the study was observe the actual pressure applied to the tissues from the tourniquet. In other words, what's the delta between the tourniquet inflation pressure and then the actual pressure on the tissues under the tourniquet? So let me explain. The more tissue padding you have, the less actual pressure reaches the tissue. So by tissue padding, I mean the size and composition of the limb. So the bigger the circumference of the limb, the more muscle, fat, and additional and additional tissue, the more padding there is to blunt the pressure of the tourniquet. So generally, larger limbs need more pressure to reach occlusion than smaller limbs do. You, you might have noticed this if you are a physical therapist that you know works with patients at scale, uh, and you, you know you apply BFR to a variety of patients, you'll probably notice the smaller patients, their limb occlusion pressures are almost always significantly less. Now, back to that formula of systolic blood pressure plus 10 divided by tissue padding coefficient. So in this case, they used a mathematical formula to arrive at a unique tissue padding coefficient for each limb size. So they used subjects from with limbs sized from 20 centimeters to 75. So, you know, in the United States from about eight to 30 inches. The formula for that specifically is kind of beyond the scope of this episode. Again, I don't want to dive too deep into the math. uh, But as an example, the coefficient for a limb of 30 centimeters was 0.82. So just remember that number, 0.82. So in the case of somebody with a 30 centimeter limb, the estimated limb occlusion pressure, according to Takali's formula, would be, again, systolic blood pressure, let's call it 100, plus 10, divided by 0.82. So 0.82 was the unique tissue padding coefficient for a 30 centimeter limb. So we've got that you know, systolic blood pressure, 100 plus 10. So we have 110 divided by 0.82 which puts us at 134 millimeters of mercury. That would be the estimated uh, limb occlusion pressure for that specific patient with that specific limb size of 30 centimeters. 
a lot of math for a podcast here, I know, but just remember that that formula takes into account systolic blood pressure and limb circumference to estimate AOP. And remember how I said earlier that they one of the things they did in the study was observe the delta between tourniquet inflation pressure and the tissue that was actually applied under the tourniquet. Well, they did this by utilizing an intracompartmental pressure monitor. They pretty much do exactly what they sound like. They measure pressure within compartments in the body. So this is done by sticking a needle into the muscle under where the tourniquet is applied, and then that can just provide a pressure signal. So obviously, these subjects were under anesthetics when this happened. And what they saw here is that the tourniquet inflation pressures were often much different than the pressures detected by that intracompartmental pressure monitor. Uh, the difference, of course, was smaller and smaller limbs, but in- increased fairly linearly with limb size. So this is how they were able to determine that larger limbs generally require greater pressures. So an example here to help illustrate this, they would apply 300 millimeters of mercury of pressure to a 45 centimeter limb and see that there's only about 230 millimeters of mercury actually applied to the tissue. So the cu- even though the cuff says it's inflated to 300 and it is, the actual tissues are only uh, seeing about 230 millimeters of mercury of pressure. Uh, because of the size of the limb. Now, if you apply that same 300 millimeters of mercury inflation to a 70 centimeter limb, there's only 194 millimeters of mercury on the tissue. So again, that limb is growing, or sorry, it's it's a different limb, it's larger, and there's even less pressure that's applied to the tissue. So this is how they sort of observe, they notice this from smaller to larger limbs, less and less pressure actually being applied to the tissues. So, you know, in the example of the one I just gave, the, the two examples I gave, that's about a 35 millimeter mercury difference in pressure on the tissues between limbs, despite the fact that the tourniquet was a you know, it was inflated to the same exact pressure each time. So this mathematical method demonstrated to be successful in estimating limb occlusion pressure in all of the subjects in this paper. Uh, It was repeated again in a 2019 study by Kassam and colleagues uh, with about 40 patients. And again, was effective. It was actually, they were comparing that to another method and it proved to be more effective. It demonstrated to be more effective uh, at estimating limb occlusion pressure at the lowest possible pressure. Because that's the goal, right? We don't want to apply an arbitrary amount of pressure. We, you know, we obviously can find limb occlusion pressure by just squeezing the limb, but that's that's not the goal. Okay, so we have some historical context now. We have some baseline figures to operate off of, at least in terms of surgical tourniquets. Uh, we can see the evolution of recommendations from arbitrarily high pressures to starting to factor in systolic blood pressure to then mathematical methods like the one we just discussed that also takes into account uh, you know, limb size or tissue padding coefficient. Uh, but let's move now directly back into BFR. Why does this matter? Why can't we just inflate and train? We hit on this a bit ago, but if the pressure is too high, you can risk damage to tissues or nerves. This is why it wouldn't be wise to just... Brief pause. If you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The Comprehensive Guide to BFR Training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get back to the show wrap a tourniquet around your arm and train without understanding how much pressure is actually being applied. This is particularly problematic with the cheaper cuffs. You can find them on Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, They're super narrow. And as we'll discuss shortly, cuff width plays a major role in determining limb occlusion pressure. Spoiler alert, narrower cuffs require much greater pressures to reach limb occlusion. So we've got nerve damage down as a potential reason to avoid or to understand LOP. 
What else though? The second reason is that it allows you to optimize your training and avoid too low or too high of intensity. So here's an example. Uh, JP Lenicky he noted in a 2011 paper that one of the criticisms of BFR is the high rate of perceived exertion based on, uh, there was an earlier 2006 and 2009 papers by Wernbaum. This study though, the, the studies that he's referencing utilized a very wide cuff and with the pressures that they they used in that study, it's pretty likely that the subjects were training under complete arterial occlusion. So like complete ischemic conditions. We know that training with limited arterial flow can be dip- difficult. Training under full occlusion is next level. So you might say, okay, well, let's avoid that. We know too high of pressures is bad. It can potentially cause nerve or muscle damage. Um, it, it can also significantly increase the intensity of the session. So let's just play it safe and we'll apply an arbitrarily low pressure each time. Problematic as well. So this is great that you can avoid, you know, possible injury and deleterious impacts on performance, but how are you supposed to track and periodize that? If you don't understand your limb occlusion pressure, how can you track what percentage you were training at? So for an example, let's say on Tuesday, you do 90 second intervals at a certain amount of watts on the echo bike with the BFR cuffs on. You're doing these intervals, you know, 90 seconds on, 60 seconds off. Well, what occlusion? are you training at? Because if the next workout, you aim to do the same thing, uh, if it's more or less difficult at the same time parameters and same amount of watts, how do you know that the occlusion didn't also change? So, you know, distance athletes track pace for miles, heart rate, sometimes stride length and other metrics. Strength athletes are very well acquainted with tracking weight, reps, sets, reps in reserve, etc. We should approach BFR training with the same level of specificity. Alterations in limb occlusion pressure can make a significant impact on the, you know, the difficulty or ease of your session. So that's just something to prioritize. Another reason why understanding limb occlusion pressure can be vital for optimizing your performance through BFR. Okay. So now that we know what LOP is, we've got some historical context. We know some of its implications. What actually determines your unique LOP? What have we gathered so far? One, we know that blood pressure is a factor because you know we had to factor it in. We had to factor systolic blood pressure in in the previous mathematical method for tourniquet-related LOP. But simply put, higher blood pressure just means that the arteries are harder to compress or occlude. Number two, we've got limb circumference. Larger limbs generally require more pressure to occlude due to the tissue padding effect. On limbs as well, it does appear that limb shape and composition do have a small effect Uh, but it's probably not significant and it's probably not worth devoting an entire section to in this episode. There's just not enough data on it at this point and limb circumference far and away appears to be uh, much more of a factor here. So we're going to move past uh, shape and composition for the moment. And then number three, we have cuff width. This has been extensively studied at this point. Uh, It might seem counterintuitive, but like I mentioned earlier, wider cuffs do require less pressure than narrow cuffs to reach LOP or AOP. There are a few intellectual models on why this is exactly. The most likely is that wider cuffs end up eliminating blood flow without total collapse of the arteries. And this is possibly due to an accumulation of frictional resistance to fluid flow along the compressed length of the artery. That's referencing from a specific paper on the topic. Uh, We'll link that in the show notes as well. But that's what we know so far. And we can be very confident in this assertion. It's been replicated many times in research. I'll just jump through a few here. 1988, Crenshaw et al. The study's called Wide Tourniquet Cuffs More Effective at Lower Inflation Pressures. 
Um, a 2006 paper by Takali et al. that I referenced earlier, same conclusion. Uh, J.P. Lenicky, legendary BFR researcher, he looked at this specifically in the context of BFR in a 2012 paper, Effects of Cuff Width on Arterial Occlusion, Implications for Blood Flow Restricted Exercise. I'm just going to read one segment from that study. Further, this study shows quantitatively for the first time that restrictive cuff pressure should be based on width of the cuff and confirms that thigh circumference is the largest determinant of arterial occlusion pressures. For every subject except one, we observed that the wider cuffs cut off arterial flow at a lower pressure compared to the narrow cuffs, which supports earlier work by Crenshaw et al. 1988, the paper I just referenced. So there was one patient, like you mentioned, uh, that for some reason didn't fit the model, uh, but that's probably an anomaly more than anything else. So we've got blood pressure, limb circumference, and cuff width. These represent the lion's share of what determines LOP. Again, there are some other smaller factors potentially like limb shape and composition, but the effects of those are just not fully understood at this point. And again, they're probably insignificant. Uh, The only remaining factor that carries some weight is body position. A 2022 paper by, I am just going to stop trying to pronounce the names here. We will link all of these papers in the show notes. Uh, But this 2022 paper demonstrated that in upper limbs, differing pressures were required to reach occlusion in seated, supine, and standing. We know this logically. If you're laying down, it's going to have a different impact on hemodynamics than if you're standing up, if you're seated, etc. But for the purposes of keeping this relatively brief, what they found is the seated position required the most pressure. Uh, The supine position was the second most pressure. And then standing Uh, the least pressure was required. With regard to lower limbs, there was a 2018 paper, again, not even going to try to pronounce the name, demonstrated a a very similar effect where AOP was much higher in seated versus supine positions. And this effect was much stronger with narrower cuffs. So to tie this up, just be sure you're consistent with how you measure AOP or LOP from session to session. Whatever position makes most sense, do that. I would say pretty logical argument could be made that you should determine occlusion pressure in the position that you'll be training in. So likely standing makes the most sense. Most most exercises for most patients are going to be on their feet. Obviously, ACL rehab, things like that, you might be um, you know laying down. So position dependent, but just be consistent. That's kind of the, the model here. So we've got blood pressure, limb circumference, cuff width, and body position during measurement as the largest contributors to determining LOP. If you've got that sort of foundational understanding, you know how each of them impacts LOP, you are well ahead of the curve. Uh, but how do we actually measure LOP? That's the, you know, I, I said that we would finish with applications. So that's where we're going to finish. Um, how do we go about determining measuring LOP in practice as a BFR practitioner? There are two common options for measuring limb occlusion pressure. Number one would be Doppler ultrasound. Number two would be specialized blood flow restriction cuffs, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, But regarding the Doppler, this is effectively an ultrasound device that can check for a pulse at a location distal to the inflated cuff. So it would generally be placed at the wrist for an upper extremity uh, LOP assessment and at the ankle for lower extremity. There's plenty of YouTube tutorials on this, so we're not going to dive too deep. Uh, But the general premise is that you would inflate the cuff slowly until you no longer detect a pulse on the occluded limb. Uh, you know, if the very first pressure where pulse stops is 140 millimeters of mercury, you can use that for your LOP in that session on that limb. From there, you can work backwards to determine your ideal training percentage. So again, if you'd like to train at 50% occlusion, you would just cut 140 in half and you'd land right at 70 millimeters of mercury. Back to option number two, 
of a specialized blood flow restriction cuff. Uh, the first name or, or primary name people might think of would be a product called Delphi, sort of the first to the scene in terms of these specialized blood flow restriction cuffs, uh, at least at scale pretty widely recognized as the gold standard of these specialized cuffs. We actually launched Saga several years later. Uh, so Delphi had been on the market for several years and we decided to launch Saga. This is, we we try to avoid bringing ourselves up as much as possible because we do intend uh, for this podcast to be strictly an educational and not just <laughs> an endless cycle of us promoting our own product. Uh, but where it makes sense, we try to talk about our product. So this is where it makes sense. We We saw a bit of a gap in the market. We saw that though Delphi is a great product, uh, the barrier to entry is fairly high just due to a few reasons. One would be cost. Delphi units are fairly expensive. And then number two would be that it requires a decent amount of training. You could throw a third one in there and say the fact that there's uh, it's not a wireless solution. So we know BFR training generally involves dynamic movements. Sometimes you're in you know a different facility or on field. We kind of wanted to create a field-based BFR solution that was not only accurate, but scalable from a cost perspective and wireless so you could train unhindered. That's where Saga came along. So we launched the world's first wireless auto calibrating blood flow restriction cuffs that operate completely off an app on your phone. So they're smartphone enabled and via the mobile app, they'll intelligently calibrate to you to determine your limb occlusion pressure. So you can actually determine limb occlusion pressure from one tap. Uh, From there, you can decide what pressure you want to train at. Do you want to train at 30, 50, 80% occlusion? And there's a sliding scale option for you to sort of one tap measure and then one tap to decide your training percentage and you're off to the races. Uh, So that's where we came along. And this is an opportunity for us to plug what we think are the greatest blood flow restriction cuffs on the market. So that is the end of my spiel. I promise we will rarely bring up our product, but again, uh, where it makes sense, we're going to throw it in. For now though, I hope this gave you a clear picture of limb occlusion pressure uh, so you can apply the knowledge that you learned here to your BFR training. We truly do make these episodes because we want to deliver uh, the most robust in-depth and practical BFR knowledge to anybody who's interested in the topic. And that's why we're here. So on that note, have a great week, stay strong, and we will see you on the next episode in our educational series.